With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Want to know how to combat crow's feet, laugh lines, jowls, and saggy skin? Reverse the signs of aging with Dermawan Pro. Join millions of people like Julie who saw a dramatic improvement with this anti-aging device. My skin is better now at age 53 than when I was 33 years old. Dermawan Pro is clinically proven to reduce the appearance of fine lines, wrinkles, and improve skin texture in minutes a day. Get 20% off Dermawan Pro when you use promo code SKIN20. That's Dermawan Pro promo code SKIN20 and free gifts and shipping with purchase. Dermawan.com promo code SKIN20. At Marshall's, our buyers hustle every day for the brands you love. Tell me about the leather booties. Is that crystal? Silk? At that price? You've got a deal. With great deals always in store, come in and get more of the good stuff. Marshall's, get the good stuff. Hi, I'm Jake Hescock. I'm Sam Jackson. My name is Derek Amos. I'm Kalia Davis, and you're watching the Sons of UCF Live. And you're watching the Sons of UCF Live. You're watching the Sons of UCF. You're watching the Sons of UCF Live. I'm Dylan Gabriel, and you're watching the Sons of UCF. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Trace Trolko in Louisville. Welcome to the Sons of UCF Live. 24 hours from the first road test of the season for the Knights. We go around the kingdom, and we are answering your questions. Let's welcome in the Sons of UCF admin, Mike. Guys. Are you wearing Adidas or Nike tonight? No logo. Logo free on the shirt. So uh, it's, uh, apparently That's you- a heck of a cough you've got, Mike. You sound like you're barking there. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have Nike or Adidas on either. I just checked. So, uh, Not to stir up a hornet's nest right off the top of the show, but Night Nation has been in meltdown mode for two days over this uh, uniform situation. Guys, hey, check in on Christian Simmons. How's he on? <laughs> <laughs> he, he is watching the situation closely. All right, I am in Louisville, 24 hours or so from game time. This is a big one for the Knights. Of course, UCF now 2-0 and after a convincing win over Bethune-Cookman. Guys, a pretty uh, easy victory for the Knights. We got, a, got to see a lot of players in that one. Yeah, you love these kind of games, Trace. You love, obviously, a good victory always helps out. But I think the coolest thing is we got to see some guys, some names that we've been hearing about for years. And we always wondered what they could do when they got in the field. So it was good to finally see some of those kids get out there. Uh, And I think Gus said it best. It still looked like a pretty clean operation. Even running the twos and the threes out there, you didn't necessarily see any sloppiness from that. So that that bodes well should um, any of these guys be needed. Because as everybody knows, you're always one play away. Yeah, I mean, we scored nine touchdowns in this game, eight consecutive drives with touchdowns. The offense looked good, only had to punt once. 
the defense, I know people were, were getting on defense for giving up a lot of yards, gave up a lot more than I expected them to, but still didn't allow any big plays, no disasters. There was really that one drive Bethune had early in the game, and they scored the second time on the second string defense. So overall, very good, clean game. We're going to hear from defensive coordinator Travis Williams in just a moment. But let me ask you this. After two games, do you feel, though, the defense is better than what we saw last season, especially in that Boca Bowl? Oh, for sure. I mean, and, you know, obviously we haven't necessarily been tested, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you think about Boise. I think that was kind of an odd game. But, I mean, UCF's number two in the nation right now and rushing defense only allowing 22 yards a game. That's a pretty important stat. Uh, so I definitely think there's a pre- appreciable improvement over last year now the secondary i think is still probably the piece that we still need to see and learn a little bit more about but i've been really surprised and impressed by the linebacker play i thought uh, both jjb and and tatum bethune have played really well this season and that's a position group that last year i think we were a little bit concerned about uh but through two games i think that's been a really solid position group those two kids have played really well all right we're still waiting for that defensive line to get sacks we, they're getting pressure they're getting close i think t will said they were going after kill shots but uh, that's going to straighten up. We're going to end up getting to the quarterback, and that's going to help out the secondary too. Knights move up in the polls, 26th at AP, 28th in the coaches, a win over Louisville on Friday night, likely to vault the Knights into the top 25. And Mike, the favorite thing that I know you love, bowl projections. Last week, the Action Network had Notre Dame versus UCF in the Fiesta Bowl. This week, they've switched it up. They've got Penn State against the Knights. As long as the Knights are in one of those New Year Six Bowls, doesn't matter to me the matchup. No, exactly. That that's the bowl that the P five uh, the G five school is going to end up going to is the Fiesta. As long as we're included, then that's all we can ask for. It's going to be nice to rid ourselves of this G five label. Not a whole lot new in Big Twelve talk this week. Uh, of course, a lot of talk about who the American might add in replacement for UCF, Cincinnati, and Houston. But I don't know how much do you care about that now. I I read the article. I think it was uh, SI or CBS Sports had it today. And, you know, maybe the Big 12 is not done. And they listed out all the schools going to the American. Look, the American's been been okay for us, right? Obviously, it allowed us to to get to this this platform, um, you know, but I have 0.0% interest in how it moves going forward. I don't care either. I mean, we're out of there and Oresco can get whatever teams he wants. Uh, I don't see teams like Boise going there now. Boise could had their chance to join the American a couple years ago. Now they're going to go to a weaker American. I don't know if that's happening. Well, one of the things to watch for, of course, in the game against Louisville is the play of the defense and uh, the versatile Louisville quarterback. He can uh, beat you with his legs. Uh, Travis Williams, defensive coordinator, his media availability most weeks is now is going to be Sunday evenings. So this means that the media contention consists of me, Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel and Brandon Helwick of UCFsports.com. So UCF doesn't record this. You don't see the session. I try to upload as many clips as I can. And I asked... uh, Coach Williams, what he feels the defense needs to improve upon this week against Louisville. Our main thing, we want to keep the top on the coverage. We, we, we got to keep the top on the coverage. Going into this season, we want to eliminate the explosive plays, just going back. and We, we had, some, we had a, a lot of explosive plays. Now we're just trying to eliminate those uh, this season. Um, and I think we're doing a good job at eliminating explosive plays. Because as a, as a secondary, the last thing you want to see, and as a secondary coach, is top blown off the coverage. Keep the top on the coverage, but it's times too we have to go ahead and uh, cushion the coverage as far as getting closer um, and not giving up easy throws as well. So it's some things that we're going to do that's going to be a little different, but our main thing is keeping the top on the coverage. 
little drinking game there. Take a shot every time you hear keeping the top. Yeah, off. did you hear that, Mike? <laughs> Keep your top on. That was, that was the message from T-Will. Keep your top on. <laughs> you think he was talking directly to me? I feel like he was. I, I can't prove he wasn't. <laughs> they haven't been uh, beat by those big plays, but there have been pass interference uh, calls uh, on, on the secondary. And uh, still, I don't know your confidence level in some of what you're seeing from, uh, from the, the secondary in the corners. Yeah, I mean, listen, hearing hearing T. Will say that gives me a little bit of hope, right, in that there is a strategy behind this, and, and really that strategy is let's not give up the big play because it did seem like there was a lot of soft cushion, particularly against Boise, uh, and obviously we saw Bethune-Cookman uh, take advantage of that as well. So at least that helps me understand that there is a method to this madness. I'm not saying I like the method or the madness, but at least there is a method to that madness. But but let's face it, I mean, we you know I've said all offseason the back, uh, back seven was going to really make or break the season for us. Again, I said off the top. I think the linebackers have been have been playing well. I think the secondary still has some things to, to work on. We saw a couple of PI penalties, and it, to me, it was more about bad positioning, not turning their head around. I think Corey Thornton got got caught flat with his back to the quarterback and his back to the ball, and, and essentially mauled the receiver. So there, there certainly are some things to, to look at. Now, I will say the Louisville doesn't appear to be the most efficient passing offense. But obviously, Malik Cunningham is a running quarterback. You know, if you play man and you have your back to the quarterback, you know, you, you may have some uh, some holes open up in the seam there. So uh, I, I still think there is some pause, but it's good to hear at least there's a method to the badness, although I don't really enjoy the method or the madness. Yeah, pass interference calls can be infuriating, I know, but they're not always the worst thing. I mean, if you're getting beat and it's going to be an easy touchdown, you might as well grab the guy. This is college. You only get 15 yards. It's not going to be a 50-yard penalty anytime. So sometimes you just got to – take one for the team and do it. And then hopefully the defense will make up for it the next play. But I, I have faith that these guys are going to tighten things up. Remember, it's only the second game in the new defense. So as the season goes along, I expect to see improvements. Well, let's talk about three things, one from each of us that we really liked, uh, loved even, against Bethune-Cookman. I'll start. I loved Dylan Gabriel's 44-yard touchdown run in which he ran more than 100 yards on that play, right? Uh, we were talking about going into the season whether we would see Dylan – uh, use his legs to uh, generate some first downs and create some offense. And we've seen that through two games. Really love that run from DG. I loved Trillian, Trillian Coles, uh, a kid who, uh, you know, we've seen his name, we've heard his name, we've seen him in spurts, but obviously had a, a bad Achilles injury last year, did not get to play, got on the field and, and really made the most of his opportunity, obviously scoring on a, on a nice running, a rushing touchdown and a passing touchdown as well. Uh, so he, he played really well. Obviously, a, a kid who I think we all root for. He got on scholarship this offseason, Trace. It's always great to see these kids get a chance to get in and play. And then, lo and behold, whether it's smoke and mirrors or not, Gus Malzahn made mention during his uh, his weekly uh, show at the Island Wing Company that perhaps um, perhaps Trillian would be running with the ones, maybe get some more playing time. So nothing impresses a coach better when you get on the field. They can see the all 22 and see what you're about. So we've been asking who's that second running back, maybe behind Bowser. Maybe Trillian Coles works his way in the conversation. Uh, but it was definitely good to see him on the field, and it's a nice success story for, for a kid I know who tries hard. Both great things you guys brought up. You know what I've loved so far? Not just in this game, but the whole season. This game in particular, the red zone offense. We were six, technically six for seven, but it's six for six. The end of the game drive, I don't count. For the season, nine for 11 scoring <laughs> it's not, it touchdowns. Doesn't count. It, does, it just mean, doesn't count. The game ended. We could have scored around the five-yard line. That doesn't count. Sorry. So we are nine for 11. The two times we didn't score, like I said, the end of the game and the one pick six by Gabriel, the first drive of the season. Other than that, we've been scoring every time inside the 20. We know how much of a disaster that was, especially last year, how we couldn't finish drives. 
great sign so far. And three things that we want to see improved. I'll begin. No knocking Big Cat Bryant, but I'm waiting for some sacks. I know they're getting pressure and they're getting hurries, but that's going to help the the secondary if they can uh, get even more pressure on quarterback. Uh, something I want to see improve is Matt Lee's health. Uh, we saw him go down in the second quarter with an ankle injury. You know, some of the reports are saying it's a mild injury that he's trying to play. He wants to play. I know there was a lot of internet sleuths trying to figure out if he made the team flight today. Uh, Cause obviously if he, if he travels, that's a good sign of him playing. Uh, you know, he's obviously the anchor of the offensive line. He's played really well. Uh, I think he's the only one who doesn't have any penalties or any sacks uh, on his ledger this year. So I'd love to see Matt Lee's health improve to the point that he can be out there and functional against Louisville. Yeah, I mentioned this on a show on Monday night, the drop passes. We can't have that anymore. We had about six of them, four early in the game. When we have one of those earlier this week. It could really kill a drive and hurt the game. Now, the media availability with Coach Malzahn happens on Mondays, so not a lot of information coming off a Saturday game about Matt Lee. All he would list, as you mentioned, Adam, was day-to-day. I saw the internet sleuthing, people trying to determine from the photos of the uh, flight uh, from uh, Orlando to uh, Louisville. By the way, that flight delayed, the charter flight delayed, so they got in just a little while ago, whether Matt Lee was on that flight, whether he'd be playing. You know, that sort of injury can be tricky. We have no idea how he's going to heal. Also, you're going into a bye week. They don't want to create a further injury situation for him. So I'd be curious to see. Uh, the, the replacement situation worked out well, but this may be an area that Louisville focuses in on this week. Yeah, I mean, Cole Schneider, uh, hats off to him, has stepped in, and, and I don't know how much time him and Dylan worked together on calls, on cadence, on, on snaps, but and the, the, you did not notice any appreciable difference between the between those two, at least from the quarterback center exchange perspective. Adrian Medley sl- came in, slid over to the left guard position. Again, the, the line was stout. I also don't know how much the competition was there against Bethune, so I think that's something to, to be had. But, uh, I mean, hats off to, to both Cole and Adrian for stepping in and a, and a glimpse there. And, and you're right, if Matt Lee's movement is compromised, I mean, how much does that impact what UCF wants to do uh, and so it's going to be a, a tricky one it, to see you know do you, to your point, do you risk it um, and, and further that injury or, or create an opportunity where he's not uh, he's not able to do all the things you need him to do um, but I, I think if you if you if you saw the game you have to have a level of confidence in Cole Schneider and Adrian Medley if that has to be the, the combo that those two guys can get it done yeah you practice all offseason different rotations along the offensive line so these guys got to be comfortable and, you know, if we have a bye week the next week, if he's not 100%, then you got to sit him out. Uh, I didn't see what that comment was. But uh, if he's not comfortable, then uh, sit him out for a game. And, and hopefully in two weeks he's back ready to go for the rest of the year for conference play. Well, the Internet Sleuths also looking at photos of the team and boarding the, the, the charter flight looking for one Traymond Morris Bresch and uh, let the conspiracy theorists go on whether he returns to the team uh, just when they may need him the most. Uh, Coach Malzahn asked about that during his Monday media availability. He's back with the team. Uh, we'll, we'll see what that means. He's got some things he's got to take care of, but uh, he is back with the team, and uh, we'll see where that goes. Of course, that uh, arrest a couple weeks ago for a DUI, one wonders whether the sins committed by uh, Bentavious Thompson worse than the DUI charge for Trayvon Morris. Welcome back, Mike. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for participating in the show. Uh, uh, we we enjoy that. He was uh, going to check for Trayvon Morris Brash. He was going to check the flight manifest. Let's see if he's he not in my kitchen, that. by the way. I, I, I'm trying to get the dog to stop barking. Uh, I'm trying to get some help. In it. Uh, 
the dog, though, entertaining. Uh, we'd like to see the dog. Perhaps the numbers would go up for viewership of the show if the dog made an appearance every once in a while. I can so, get them right now. Maybe scandals, scandals and animals, Trace. Scandals and animals. So, you know, Traymond Morris Brash uh, back with the team. Does that mean he makes an appearance, that he's part of the rotation this week? Don't know, but uh, still a guy you'd rather have on your team than sitting watching the games. Well, the phrasing he's back with the team seems to indicate that whatever punishment he was serving away from the team has now been been resolved. So what I could presume is a two-week punishment suspension away from the team. Do we see him going forward? He obviously hasn't practiced in two weeks. I imagine he's a little bit rusty. He may not be in perfect game shape. So to your point, Trace, a bye week next week, is this the right time to throw him in there? But maybe he has some spot duty where you need a, a big third down play and you, you get him in there for one or two plays. Look, the reality is... Um, you know, what's the right punishment for these things? Everybody has their own opinion on it. Um, it's hard to justify either way. I don't want to sit here and justify a DUI because that, that does not feel like the right thing to do. You know, you could say, hey, it's not a violent crime, uh, but obviously it's still a dumb decision. So uh, I'm going to trust that Gus has the right thing in mind. He said that he still has some things to do. I don't know what that is. Maybe those are, uh, you know, accomplishments he has to have off the field, maybe a classroom, maybe apology to the team. You know, who knows what that looks like. Uh, but obviously it sounds like Gus will make the right decision. You know, I don't know what kind of disciplinarian Gus is. We'll see that from, um, you know, I guess from this incident. Um, but also sometimes people need a second chance. So where that line lies between is he deserving of that second chance? It sounds like Gus is saying he's got things to do to get that. If he does it, then, you know, who are we to argue with what that looks like? Yeah, if he's going to play, I don't think they're going to limit him within the game. If he's making the trip and he's out there, he's playing, then he's going to play normally like he would in any other game. Now, the, the conditioning aspect, I guess, is a thing, but I got to think he's been working out. And even if he's not practicing, he's got to be staying in some kind of game shape, knowing that this day might come back. So, um, yeah, it's a dumb decision, yes. But if he's already paid the price for it and, um, and the team and Gus says he's going to play, then I'm ready to watch him play. Mike, do you agree with Raphael's comment on screen? We've all made dumb decisions in college. Do you agree I'm, with that statement? I make dumb decisions now. 20 years removed from college. So, yes, that is true. Well, some eight years removed from that uh, classic UCF-Louisville game, the two will uh, meet up again Friday night here in Louisville. Louisville, one and one on the season, having lost to Ole Miss in the opener nights. That line fluctuating. Uh, it started out high or nine, nine and a half. You've Seven and a half. I've seen six and a half. Uh, so, uh, you know, touchdown thereabouts uh, in the first true road test for the Knights and really some two seasons in what may be, you know, a hostile crowd. We'll see if the Knights can take this crowd out of it early. Uh, how about the uniforms? Did you get a look at those? All white, uh, the icy white for the road trip at Louisville. Yeah, whiteout's always a classic look. I think that the, the wrinkles UCF threw in is uh, no stripe on the helmet. Uh, and uh, they, I guess they inverted the UCF stack logo. So uh, they essentially flipped the colors from, uh, I guess, gold and white to white and gold or something like that. It's a nice, clean look. Uh, it's always a classic, traditional look. A lot of teams obviously go all white. Uh, you know, I think if you really want to do it, maybe you go with the white face mask going forward. But apparently you guys didn't get the memo about wearing white tonight. I don't, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> Got to save the white for tomorrow night, I think. But... Uh... <laughs> The, the white on white on white, the classic game is the first Fiesta Bowl, right? That's where I, I associate that combination with. I thought maybe we'd go with gold pants to, to commemorate the 2013 game in Louisville. But uh, I, I, whatever, they decide to wear it really doesn't make a difference to me. 
A little bit different show tonight in that our guest will be coming up in a little while, a Cardinal Insider, so we're going to get into this Louisville game a little bit more. We're going to have uh, quite a few mailbag questions in just a moment. Around the kingdom, volleyball beats Miami today, 3-2, sweeps Florida Gulf Coast at the Sunshine Challenge Cup in Boca Raton. Uh, McKenna Melville was the AAC Offensive Player of the Week. She continued to shine today. Knights are 6-5. and five. They close out at FAU. Mike, you should be down there. I think it's a morning match with FAU, so you should take you know the whole day off. You should go out see some volleyball uh, before AAC play begins next week. 14th women's soccer. Uh, they're 4-2. They're opening league play at this hour uh, at Houston, and then they'll host Stetson on Sunday. Men's soccer, 2-3. and three. They beat Florida Gulf Coast. They played Florida Gulf Coast in a lot of these, uh, these games. Uh, Alessandro Campoy, four goals in that last match, the AAC Offensive Player of the Week, the uh, Knights Open League play at Memphis on Saturday night. How about this, uh, Timo, Terry Mahajer, back to extending contracts to head coaches. Dana Boone, track and field head coach, her contract extended to 2025-2026. So be interesting to see if he extends to everybody because you don't want to be not extended. What might that mean for you? And uh, the NIL comes back again. Sam's Club giving a $10,000 sponsorship to 10 athletes in college named Sam, and that includes UCF track athlete, Samaria Bradwell. Imagine NIL back in your day, Mike, how big a star you would have been at UCF being able to collect money for all of your athletic prowess. Yeah, that would have been awesome. I mean, if we could ever make any money off this podcast, that'd be cool too. But Sam Jackson is uh, Sam. another big uh, possibility. Sam would like a word, please. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Sam would like a word. I had a little fun with the Twitter polls this week at SignPez, trying to figure out who Night Nation thinks our biggest rival is. I took four teams from the existing uh, Big 12, put them in one bracket, which Baylor emerged from, put four others in another bracket, of which West Virginia emerged from. Uh, Baylor beats West Virginia, Cincinnati beats BYU, and then Night Nation overwhelmingly says Cincinnati is our biggest rival in this newly configured Big 12. Do you agree with that? And do you think Cincinnati has surpassed the cows as our biggest rival? Well, I kind of I take umbrage with the, the wording, Trace, because it says our new arch nemesis. I, I don't Cincinnati's been an arch nemesis the last couple of seasons, so I don't know that they're they're new, but I understand the spirit of the question. Um, listen, geography rivalries will always, I think, take precedent over these kind of things because you fight for the same players. A lot of the kids go to the same school. Uh, a lot of the alumni, there's the house divided stuff that happens when you have uh, proximity uh, rivalries. So I think those are going to always be more fun than you know than your your cross country rivalries. However, I think on the field, I think arch nemesis is a different way to put it. I think that's an interesting you know way to phrase it because that essentially indicates a team that you've had battles with over and over and over again, and you have to kind of get over the hump. And that's kind of where we are with Cincinnati right now. So by the by the spirit of this question, at this point, yeah, they are our arch nemesis. They are the team that's in our way, and I suspect that they'll continue to be a team that will be in our way in some form or fashion when we get to uh, to the Big Twelve. I think there's a lot of recency bias in this answer here with Cincinnati. To me, we have a longer rivalry with Houston. Going back, we've had some classic games against Houston. The 2005 home game in the Citrus Bowl was a big one. The 09 game when they were top-ranked team and we beat them there. How about in basketball a couple years ago when we had the game day game and we beat them there? Plus, you have the, the tie-in with the space programs, both of them, them being in Houston, us in Orlando. I think there's a, a, a tie in there. It goes back longer. I actually voted for Houston over Cincinnati. I know a lot of the people been watching the last couple of years, they say Cincinnati, but that changes year to year. Cincinnati hasn't been this good for that long. They've been good for the last two years. 
And Mike, I think it was you on a recent podcast pointed out that the rivalry was Marshall. It was East Carolina. Rivalries change, right? And especially in UCF's short time as a football program in many different leagues and divisions and levels. Those rival Georgia Southern, as you, you talked about on a recent show, the, the rivalries change. But I agree with you. I think there's some recency bias. And I thought West Virginia made a little bit more sense uh, than Baylor in this one. Let us open up the mailbag. Quite a few questions before we welcome in our guest, the uh, Louisville Insider, at P-R-O-F-B-U-T-T-O-N-Z. Oh, boy, here we go. Here we go. Let's get into it. Thoughts on the uniform discussion. Is Night Nation overreacting when they say this will damage recruiting? Coming off of what is one of the biggest, if not the biggest moments in UCF football history, athletics history, getting this Big 12 infight. The University of Complaining Fans, that's what UCF stands for over the last couple of days with this uniform controversy. All right, all right, the next question, at Fear the Pegasus, will the potential uniform change turn the UCF football program into shambles? And I love Fear the Pegasus, but your poll question was, will you still be a fan of the Knights uh, if they go away from Nike? Ridiculous. This is all ridiculous. And by the way, have you noticed since this announcement of the Big 12, it's not like there have been all these big dollar donor announcements, have there? There's 300,000 alums, 70,000 students. They've, they've announced 216 shareholder society members. Where are the big million dollar checks? If Terry Mahajer needs to get money from Adidas, everybody's just going to need to calm down about it. Trace, how do you really feel? Yeah. It's hard to tell. I, I, um, it was 48 hours of not, I, I the longing for the days when we were talking about potato salad. <laughs> uh, here, here's the thing, right? Do, so do I think that recruits will pick a, a Nike school over an Adidas school? Probably. There's probably one or two recruits out there. Let's not kid ourselves. Who are going to say, hey, I like that style of uniform better. Th that's probably going to be true. This is, this is just the, the world we live in. But you said it correctly. Obviously, the financial elements of it are going to be what probably drives the decision on this one. At the end of the day, it's laundry, right? And, and, and really, how we play in the laundry is probably more important than the laundry. I would submit to you that while I understand that there's a lot of sides to this discussion, there's what you wear in the field. There's also practice jerseys and, and things the kids wear to events and things like that. But, you know, in terms of, of, I don't know, uniforms, Alabama wears the same two uniforms every week. It's either the red and the white or the white and the white. There's no, there's no changing. There's Penn no State. throwbacks. There's nothing. And kids still go there to, to play for, for Alabama, even though the uniforms don't change. So I, I have to think how you play in the uniforms has just, uh, just as much uh, of an impact as the uniforms you wear. Now, having said that, I would prefer we stay with Nike. I think they make a better product. I like their product better. I've never really been an Adidas person myself. But if Terry Mohadra looks at the dollars and cents and says, this is what we have to do, I don't know how we turn that down. I'd ask anyone out there to say to yourself, if you were if you were an HR professional and you were an HR professional in whatever line of work you are, and Apple called you and said, hey, we want to pay you $50,000 to come work for us here at Apple. Coolest company on earth. All this great stuff. You're going to work for Apple. And Little Caesars calls you for the same job is going to pay you $200,000. How many of people out there are going to Apple versus Little Caesars? And I think that, that may be the discussion that comes down to at some point is the money is going to drive this decision. Do I think Adidas's uniforms are gross? Yeah, kind of, actually. But if that's the thing we have to do to, to add additional revenue to our pocket, then that's what we got to do. What I Am I going to rock an Adidas shirt? Probably not. But if that's what Terry thinks is the right thing for UCF, I don't know how the heck any of us can stand up and go, no, no, let's not do that. These guys can play out there in ballerina outfits for all I care. As long as they're playing for UCF, <laughs> I'm going to be rooting for them. And I know the, the fans, uh, the recruits, rather, they, 
it is a factor for them, but it can't be the main factor. You're not deciding on which college you're going to for the next four years because of the brand of uniforms. The, I mean, the winning, the coaching, the location of the school, the education. There's so many other factors that have to factor into this thing that I, I can't believe that this is that big of a, a difference maker for these kids. And as us as fans, how long we've been with Nike now for how long? And we are still always complaining about the, the, the merchandise we have available to us, right? Adam's been talking about, hey, can we get a soccer jersey for sale for the last 10 years? Can we get our football jerseys for sale? Now, I haven't seen that taking any step ups in the last couple of years because we're with Nike. So if Adidas is going to give us more money and give us better products for the fans to buy, then I'm all for it. Just remember, this budget is $73 million for athletics. Terry Mahajer has said that it, he'd like it to be at $100 million. There'll be an increase in the TV revenue, unknown what it'll mean in the Big 12 with some reconfigured contracts, certainly higher than in the AAC. But again, in the week since the announcement, they've added 10 or 11 shareholder society members. They're at 216 with a goal of 300. There are 300,000 alums. Where does he think he's going to get $27 million more million? If he's going to get some of this money from Adidas, or if we ever get the stadium naming rights situation worked out, he's got to find this money somewhere because it's certainly, you know, one of the fundamentals that has not changed since this Big 12 invitation is the makeup of our fan base. It is still a younger fan base, working people with kids that don't die and leave big sums of money to UCF. This isn't Penn State. It isn't Notre Dame. It isn't Michigan with those sorts of older alums. Those fundamentals haven't changed. So he's going to look for money. We lauded him last week into the Big 12, people losing their mind uh, on him this week. At underscore poet underscore warlord underscore, two underscores there. Will our five-star transfer Jordan Johnson see the field? If he didn't see the field against Bethune-Cookman, I don't know when he's going to well, see the field. He was on the field against Bethune. I did see him out there. He was uh, playing receiver. Uh, I saw him run a couple of routes. He obviously was not targeted, did not make any catches. So he did see the field uh, against Bethune. But again, he's, I think he's learned this playbook just as much as everybody else. Obviously, a lot of talent in the receiver position at this point. So um, maybe, maybe this isn't his season per se, but you know, a, a year under his belt to learn the system, it might not, uh, might not be a bad thing. But he did see the field against Bethune, although not, not really uh, an impact uh, on, the, on the game. The wide receiver position is a tough one to crack. I mean, you're talking about Jay Flash, Brandon Johnson. Uh, <laughs> uh, there's like about five, six other guys ahead of him, O'Keefe. So he's going to have to to work his way up. And, you know, he is new. He's learning everything. So, But so is uh, Titus. He's new, too. And he got on the field right away and scored a touchdown in the first game. Yeah, so but it's uh, in, in practice. Huh? Jordan Johnson's best friend isn't the quarterback, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Del Dylan Gabriel's not telling Gus who to put in the game. I don't think, at least I hope not. So uh, <laughs> he's out there because he can make plays. He's out there on punt returns because he, he showed the coach something in practice. At ET Johnson four is Parker Navarro in the doghouse. If so, how does he get out or do we expect transfer portal? I don't know if he's in the doghouse. Uh, maybe that's my question right now. As if though on cue, the dog. <laughs> yeah, <part>. yeah <laughs> I don't know if he's in the doghouse. He's just in a, a spot, I think, where there's a lot of talent in the quarterback room. I, I joked about this on the show this week that, you know, Parker Navarro, Tennessee quarterback room collision course, because, you know, listen, he's got Dylan Gabler there right now. He could come back another season. Obviously, Mikey Keene is vaulted ahead of him. Quadri Jones is always kind of hanging around. I think he's going to be there on the Michael Colubiali plan at this point, right? Then you've got you know, Castellanos coming in as a freshman and Joey Gate what all of a sudden gets in the mix so i mean there, there's a lot of people in that room uh for whatever reason parker seems to be the the odd man out right now i don't know if that means doghouse uh but I, I wouldn't be surprised if in the offseason he has to sit down and make a tough decision 
Yeah, another position where there are, you just mentioned rattled off all the names, the guys ahead of him. Uh, it's going to be up to him. If he thinks that it's better off for him than get playing time somewhere else, then he's going to make that decision at the end of the year. But at least he's sticking with the team right now. You haven't seen him already come out and say that. So he wants to be part of the team, then he's welcome to stay. That's saddest rockers. I like second half Randy for a while, but can we convince T-Will that second quarter is a better time to make adjustments? We all forget. I like T-Will a lot, but this is his first year as the sort of the solo D coordinator. I mean, he's going to have his learning curve just like everybody else in this team. And again, it's good to hear in that presser that you had, Trace, that he's got a strategy. Whether or not we agree with it is another whole, whole other story. Um, so he's going to have to find his rhythm. But I will say that it seems like the first couple of series, maybe our defense has a bit of a bend. But I mean, they, they seem to fight back pretty heavily. They did it second half against Boise. And it, it was what 14-7 for a while there at Bethune. And then all of a sudden, you know, defense clamps down, offense steps up so you know but but he will still a young d coordinator he's going to make the mistakes just like young players will i think he has been making the adjustments in the second quarter remember the boise state game they went they scored that third touchdown there were still 12 minutes to go in the second quarter they didn't do much after that until the fourth quarter and that was given on a short field and then last week we gave up a touchdown in the first quarter and then didn't give up anything else until late in the game so i think he is making adjustments as he goes and i think he's just right now experimenting with the defense given the corners a lot more space early on and seeing what they can do with it. At Brian W. Peterson, I appreciate witty appreciate your witty comments on screen, Brian, asking about the jump up in uh, competition to the Big 12. Should fans be prepared for an increase in losses while we catch up? Let's just keep it to football because obviously a sport like men's basketball, they may experience some more losses in that jump up. What about football? Do they jump right in and compete? TCU didn't jump right in and compete when it uh, joined the Big 12. It, uh, it took some knocks for a couple of seasons. Uh, will they compete? Yes. Will there be more losses? Probably. Yeah. I, mean, I think the the ceiling of the Big 12 uh, is not as, as low as the ceiling of the American Conference. Kansas appears to be the ceiling of uh, pretty much the entire Power Five, I would think, from a football standpoint, right? But but the middle tier of, of the Big 12 is pretty solid. And the teams we're adding aren't so bad either. By the way, BYU thumped us, and they're always a traditionally a really good team. But you talk about Cincinnati, they are where they are. Baylor's had some good opportunities of late. Texas Tech appears to be in the way down. Oklahoma State's always really good. Iowa State, although not good this last weekend seems to be on the upswing so i, I definitely think that we're gonna we're gonna face different competition and when you do that that could lead to some l's but that doesn't necessarily mean that we we can't compete or we won't be one of the top teams it just means we, we may be in for more you know 31 30 games versus 63 14 games when we joined the american we won every single game that first year we only lost one game the next year and that was to yukon i i still can't explain that one so we're going to go in there expecting to compete with these guys right away. I think right now, as this season is going on, you're seeing that Cincinnati, UCF, and BYU are probably better than the teams that are there in the Big 12 right now. So are we going to take losses? Yeah, we're going to take losses. But guess what? We took losses to Tulsa in the last couple of years over here, too. So there's going to be a Tulsa of the Big 12, maybe a, a Baylor or whatever, that if they're not that great, but still be able to beat us. At Mass and Ma, does our move to the Big 12 make it easier to fill out our conference schedule since we will be P5? The home and home with BYU is just a conference game in a future configuration of the B12, uh, Big 12. But BYU has to schedule as an independent all these teams. I just knock on their door and say, hey, you've got to buy out all these contracts. We'll take yours. 
Yeah, probably a little bit easier, right? I mean, scheduling is such a tricky game, and particularly now with a lot of uh, we've seen a lot of schools fill out their schedules years in advance. So now UCF is going to have to make some stuff, kind of move around and make it happen. So probably easier. It definitely makes that two for one, one for one conversation probably a little bit more congruent. But I mean, scheduling is such a crapshoot these days with schools and buyouts and money and uh, conference affiliations and all that stuff. But I imagine it probably makes the door a little bit more open for for Timo to make some phone calls. I took a peek at that BYU future schedules, and there's a couple names on there I wouldn't mind scheduling. They have a, a series with Miami coming up, I believe, in 26 and 28. They have the Cows, and if we want to continue playing the Cows, maybe they're willing to switch with us there and keep a couple of those games alive. So, Plus, you got other teams in American that we never considered as out-of-conference. Now we can go back and look at those guys, keep a, maybe an out-of-conference game with an East Carolina or one of these older rivalry teams. Well, as long as we keep UConn on the schedule as we have this season, right? That Dan R. Cundiff, how often would you schedule the Cows? Uh, as Terry Mahajer, he doesn't seem to be particularly, you know, if they schedule, they schedule. He doesn't seem uh, connected to that rivalry, obviously, being new to UCF. And their schedule is booked out. By the way, great showing by Cows Nation uh, Saturday in Tampa. A sea of green across Raymond James. Yeah, I said this on the show this week. For, for me personally, I, I'm okay if we have to take a bit of a hiatus from the cows, right? I think you know our 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 trains are going in two different directions at this point. And and while I certainly like easy wins, at some point it feels like we're punching down. So I'm, I'm all in on us trying to figure out our new path forward in the Big 12, get our footing, as you mentioned, Trace, TCU stumbles a little bit when they go in there. But we have our own things to worry about as opposed to are we always going to play the cows? Yes, it would be great. But if it has to go on a hiatus for a few years while we kind of get our, our new train moving in the right direction i think that's a perfectly good sacrifice for me i'd give up a couple of cows games for us to be successful in the next three five years just going to the new conference yeah i'd like to keep them on and we need the games as we know and now it's going to be up to them it's really going to be up to them if they want to rearrange their schedule to keep the rivalry going so if we play them great if not then uh, you know i'd like to see us play them in the future i don't want to just not play them ever again I think it's a fun game. It's a close game. It gives us another game in the state close for our fans to go. Just like I like playing FAU and FIU. We can get a lot of UCF fans to go to those games, and we can fill up Raymond James ourselves. At Sublime underscore night, always with the witty question. He says he had a beer in his darkest moments of the Boise game, had another one in the Bethune game. Premise here is that he's only got three left on the off chance they're magic, magical brews. Uh, which games should he save them for? Cincinnati seems to come to mind. I think we're bearing the lead here. Why waste one on Bethune? Yeah. I mean, you should have <laughs> just kept that one in the fridge, Sublime. I don't know why you broke that one out for the Bethune game. Yeah, I think the Cincinnati game is probably where you want to keep those on ice, keep the uh, you know, keep the bottle opener nearby. Um, you know, I've said down the road, SMU seems like a really tough game. I don't know how many you might need against Cincinnati. Uh, SMU may be a tough game down the road, so maybe a, you tuck one back in the way from the fridge. I don't know what the born-on date on those are. Will they be good by November? A lot of factors there. And really, the bearing the lead here is why I have one against Bethune. I don't know. If these are, in fact, magic beers, then you <laughs> you cannot plan it out. You just got to wait and see when we need magic. When Are we going to be down two touchdowns to anybody? And you, you got to crack one open. And you use it as soon as you you feel that it's necessary. I don't think you 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 put it away for a game because you may be skipping a game that we need it for. Well, maybe you should crowdsource this supply. Maybe as the game's going on, just put a <laughs> quick poll up. Is it is it magic beer time? Uh, I don't know. Does that invalidate the rules, Mike? Does that take away the magic if he asks that question? I don't know how that works. I don't know. I don't know what he was doing the first time he had them. Yeah, there, there's a lot of things that go. There into are a this. lot of factors in this magic right. beer conversation. <laughs> that, that's. That's always true.
Uh, you mentioned uh, on screen earlier at Lonely Bee UCF. Are there any places worth tailgating in the Big 12 outside of West Virginia, which surprised me that West Virginia was mentioned? I, I happen to think that you can have a good time no matter where you are. I've never been to Lubbock. I haven't heard a lot of good things about it, though, Trey. So that may stretch your theory. West Virginia, I think, is the place known for burning couches. Uh, so it feels like there, there may be a good time had there. Although I don't know how many UCF fans are getting a couch up from Orlando to West Virginia. If you guys can figure that out, then you deserve to have a good time. Um, BYU, Mike, as Mike's referenced before, felt a little uh, like a cathedral up there. So maybe that's not your tailgating spot. Um, but I think it's cool to, to get to some of these new venues um, and, and see what they're all about. I think the Trace's point, you know, being in the atmosphere, being around UCF fans, talking a little trash to other fans is always kind of fun. Um, I'm not sure if you, if you have to do that through the the tumbleweeds of Lubbock, how that'll work out for you. But it'll be interesting to have some of these new venues to uh, to uh, to take a look at. We've got some people, say, uh, Edward, saying Lubbock is the Paris of Texas. So you got that. And uh, and Nelson's been a tailgate. And they were nice folks up there in Cincinnati, according to Nelson. Yeah, uh, B, uh, Baylor has a new stadium right on the lake there or in a river somewhere, and they do some what they call sailgating. So if you go up to one of those games, you get a, you rent a boat or something, that could be some fun. Um, other than the towns itself, uh, I'm not interested in hitting any of them, to be honest. But uh, uh, you, can, you can have some fun in those small towns if you have to. The only thing I'll say when I when I, I was sharing this with my wife about the conference affiliation here, uh, and I mentioned Baylor and Waco. Apparently, for those of you out there who have uh, significant others who are into this kind of thing, Chip and Joanna Gaines, their whole their whole conglomeration is in the greater Waco area. So if you're into the, I don't know what show they're on exactly per se, but apparently that's a big deal. And so the wife's already in for a Waco trip uh, just to go to whatever the hell that thing is. You couldn't have a bigger contrast with Louisville with all of its distilleries than the concept of going to a BYU road game. You're going to have to sneak the alcohol into the state, right? I've done it. Um, you, 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 you were there, right? You, Speaking uh, of magic you, beers. <laughs> you snuck uh, alcohol into the state and into the stadium? Yeah, well, the state, you can get it. We have to get it in Salt Lake City. And then you got to drive over. But into the stadium, yes, we did it. We had one that was called one of those wine rack things where you fill it up. And like, my, my friend, who is a. Please put uh, your hands down. <laughs> a guy walked back into the second half of that game with double D breasts, and I was breastfeeding off him for the second half of that game. That's entirely, entirely too much information. <laughs> At the CMAS 14. How much of a distraction are the fickle to USC rumors? By the way, good that Gus Malzahn is tamped down that he's not interested in that job uh, at USC. Uh, does that impact Cincinnati? By the way, on Saturday, I'm driving from Louisville with a buddy. We're going to Cincinnati at Indiana in Bloomington, some two hours away. High noon kickoff. So I'll be uh, checking out the Bearcats. That, that was nice of Gus. I also want to declare right now I have no interest in Megan Fox, so please don't come calling me. Um, but here's the deal. I, I think Fickle is a Midwest guy. I don't know that he fits on the West Coast. I know that's his AD out there. I don't think he fits with USC. My suspicion would be, and I have zero in, inside information on this, I think Fickle waits out Ryan Day at Ohio State. Does Ryan Day ever make the jump to the NFL? His name has been mentioned a few times. I think Fickle wants to stay Midwest. I think he tries to wait out Ryan Day. And if Ryan Day ever leaves Ohio State, I think that's where he goes. I don't see him as a West Coast guy i don't think he fits in it doesn't have a recruiting base out there the names they're talking about are all guys with west coast ties and 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 pac-12 ties i I don't think fickle fits that mold the other possibility and name being mentioned is franklin at penn state now if he were to go out there that'd be an interesting job if they went after fickle i think he might jump on that one yeah why is that a better job for franklin than penn state 
Money, I assume. I mean, I, I, it feels like Franklin's been one of those guys who's, who's, you know, he had a good thing at Vandy, then he was going to, to Penn State. I would assume it's money at this point. Um, I, I guess if you want to say he's got an easier path to the playoff out West, I mean, really Oregon, I guess it would be the only school in the Pac-12 that's consistently put up a fight where in the Big Ten, you've got Ohio State, Wisconsin's usually decent, Michigan, you never know. So maybe the path to the playoffs a little bit easier out there in the Pac-12, but there are also schools that are tend to be left out. But there's no way a college football playoff would leave out a USC. That's that's too big of a brand. So if he gets them in that 11-1 and space, uh, I think he's probably got a better shot than he would at a Penn State. And if you're successful at USC, you're a rock star. Remember, you're going from, what is it, Happy Valley to Los Angeles, Hollywood. I mean, guys like Pete Carroll and those guys, they, they're, they're legends over there. So he can do the same thing. At Capped Veg one what's the Suns' feelings on the report of, quote, toxic student body attitudes toward visiting fans? There were some uh, chants directed at uh, Boise State. I, and, and, and Terry Mahajer's come out with do the, do the night thing and all of that. You know, I think UCF fuels this to some extent, right? They want that chip-on-your-shoulder program. They certainly could police it better in the stands. I know they don't want those FU chants towards the Boise faithful, but I think UCF likes being that rebel at the moment in the college football landscape. Yeah, toxic is an interesting word. I don't, I don't know what that means. Um, obviously, there was some off-color language that was said, uh, and you know, raise your hand if you haven't, you know, cursed out the other team at a football game, right? Now, they, well, there you go. Uh, the, raise your hand if you have, Mike. So, I think the challenge is, um, <laughs> you know, obviously, it's got to be with some decorum. An entire uh, stadium chanting that is definitely not a good look. Um, you know, but uh, look, I, I get it. I don't know that it's a huge issue um, per se. I think it's one of those where you have a nice stern talking to and just hope that the students come in line. Um, but you, you want a rowdy student section, right? That That's what makes a home field advantage. There's probably a line to, to cross, but I, I don't, is it any worse than you hear in any other stadium? And that doesn't make it right, by the way. But I, I don't know that I would say that, oh, my goodness, you know, your, your safety uh, is, is compromised. You are at peril if you come to the bounce house. Some students sense of bad words. Not a cool thing to do. Maybe maybe don't say those bad words next time, and, and I think we can keep it moving. I don't know how you're going to be able to police this in a stadium. What are you going to do, to kick 10,000 kids out of the stadium? I don't think that's happening. The Boise State game was a little different than normal. Remember the long delay. Kids got to go back to their dorms, go back wherever, get a couple of drinks. They were more liquored up for that game. Instead of waiting, normally they're waiting three hours in line to get into the stadium. I don't know if they're as drunk as they were that first game. So maybe that had a little something to do with it. All right, got to take another one from E.T. Johnson for our guest is delayed, and perhaps we will be joined by him shortly. Uh, E.T. Johnson for over-under defensive holding pass interference penalties on our secondary versus Louisville. He's got it listed as four. Let's hope not. Yeah, let's hammer the under on that one. I think I don't know how prolific a passing offense Louisville is. Looking at their stats, they don't appear to to be a, a team that's going to throw the ball around a lot. So, um, Mike just saw the comment on the screen there. I can tell. Um, yeah, so I, I go, I hammer the under on that one. Yeah, four is a lot. If there's four, then we're in some big trouble, right? Unless they're all on one drive and get them out of the way, and, and that's it, and then you clean it up after that. But you, like I said, you got to pick your spots. If it's if you're going to get beat for a touchdown. I'll take it, I guess. Other than that, we got to clean that up. 
Well, speaking of which, really quick, Trace, um, while we filibuster for time here, I saw that Louisville had some concerns with the way that the stadium operations ran in the week prior. And so to compromise, they are going to have half off sodas, fountain drinks, and half off beers Beer. uh, for the uh, for the first half of the game. So we may get some of that rowdy uh, behavior in return if you're going to have a bunch of students on a Friday night uh, with half off beer. Um, we may We may hear some FU chants back in our directions. The UCF fans as well are going to be drinking those same beers. There might be some altercations there tomorrow night. We know our fans, like we were just talking about, not always the friendliest group. So mix that in with half-price beer, anything goes. I like Adam Terra. UCF needs a supporters club like Orlando City to lead creative tailor-made chants. They're not always the uh, most pleasant chants either, though, I must tell you. Um, all right, back to one from Dan R. Cundiff. Uh, how much would you play Morris Brash considering his offense? I think UCF, I don't know that that is a factor as much as is he ready for a game. Yeah, I think that's probably the bigger issue, right? Not Again, not trying to um, uh, mitigate uh, bad decisions like driving under the influence, but uh, is he in game shape? Is he in game speed? Has he been working out? We have to assume he's been away from the team meeting. He hasn't been in practice, hasn't been in meetings. So if that's the case, you know, obviously I, I have to assume even from week one to week two, T. Will learned a bunch that he put into the system. Uh, and so there, there may have been some, some tweaks on defense, new calls that change, things like that. So I got to assume he's got some time to get up to speed um, and – my my suspicion, my guess would be we see him in very spot limited duty if we see him at all, right? We see him at a third and six when we want to get a, a good pressure on the quarterback, you know, from the from our, our forty or something like that. I think maybe those are, are spot duties. I don't I don't know that we see him for a, a handful of snaps. I don't know if we're limiting him, but if he's ready to play and, and the team agrees that he's playing, then I mean, what are you going to just hold him back? Oh, we need him for this play. We need him for that play. If he's ready to play, go play. And, and that decision's been made. Then that. And then you just roll with it. Uh, another one from Dan. How do you protect the young secondary? More blitzing or down linemen? Uh, I think we talked a little bit about uh, the pass rush. And uh, this quarterback, Malik Cunningham, uh, you know, he, he can beat you deep. But uh, UCF has, in years past, certainly, with different defensive coordinators, struggled with uh, mobile quarterbacks. And, and he's apt to take off and, and pick up some yards uh, with his legs. Well, if you think about you know UCF secondary, and I know one was uh, Tatum Bethune, but both of the turnovers that we forced on interceptions have been quarterbacks flushed out of the pocket and who are having to make plays on the run. I think both of them are being chased. I think Big Cat was actually on both of those plays. So I think if, if your front four can get home on the quarterback without sending blitzes and they can disrupt the pocket, they can they can make the quarterback move out. I think that helps your secondary because then it's a scramble drill. And again, we saw we saw both Dylan Lester and Tatum Bethune make plays on that. So if your front four specifically can get home without bringing a blitz to me that's that's the biggest help of a secondary because then you know once a play breaks down it's really kind of street ball at that point and, and i think we have uh, kids who are smart who can make good athletic plays i think that helps us out yeah if you got to keep a spy on this guy because he's that big of a threat then that's what you got to do uh, i trust t will to make the best decision and it is going to be up on the guys up front to get pressure without having to bring any kind of blitzes uh, brian asked a good question will blitzing be effective against a, a running quarterback Again, tough to say, right? Because um, it, 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 it depends on what your if you're coverage. If you're playing man coverage, again, you got guys running on the field with their backs to the quarterback. So you know that that could open up huge rush lanes for him to uh, to eat a bunch of chunk yards. But we're going to see mobile quarterbacks uh, a handful of games the rest of the season. So Desmond this is really Ritter. 
Desmond Ritter, uh, namely, right? So this is the first time we're going to see T-Will really kind of plan against a running style quarterback offense. Both Boise and Bethune seem to be more packet, uh, pocket passing um, from a, a stylistic perspective. So I think we'll learn a lot about that in terms of, of what that looks like. But I got to I gotta imagine guys like, you know, um, Big Cat and Kalia Davis, they're, they're going to make they're going to make things hard. And we have enough athletes on the perimeter um, in the linebacker and the secondary. I think that that can be helpful. Um, but blitzing is going to be interesting to see what is what is propensity to blitz is because that I Obviously, could definitely expose us to some uh, some chunk plays from uh, from Lee Cunningham. Yeah, it's going to be a big game for the linebackers to chase this guy down. Oh, that's a short and succinct point from you, Mike. Just really, oh. <laughs> I was expecting. <laughs> oh, yeah. <a> <laughs> <laughs> just just, uh, just yeah. got right to it there. I think Adam uh, covered it well. <laughs> Very complimentary. Do you feel like we've learned a lot about? the 2021 nights yet. I mean, Boise was so odd because of the start, the delay. They were always expected to take care of business with Bethune. Uh, do you have, do you feel like you know where this team is yet? I think, you know, the direction they're heading, right? I, I don't know if you can, you can pinpoint the de- destination, but I think now we've seen, we're going to be multiple in offense. I know we've heard Josh Heibel say that all the time as he threw, you know, 10 yard bubble screens every time, but I think legit, we're going to be multiple in offense. I think we're going to establish a running game. And I think Dylan's going to find opportunities to, to, to make plays on offense. I think Gus is going to scheme that up really well on defense. I mean, so far through two games, it looks like we're going to be really stout against the run. Uh, and and if that holds true, that's a, that's a huge component. And I think we recognize that the the passing game could be sort of our, our weakness from that standpoint. So I think I know the direction the arrow is pointing. Now, you know how well we continue to to improve and uh, and and get better at those things that we challenge ourselves with. I think will be uh, will be a telling part. But I feel like I know which way the arrow is pointing for sure. I think Boise is going to prove to be a pretty good team this year. And I like the maturity that this team showed, especially being down so early in that game at home. They could have easily folded and packed it in. And then they took care of business this past week. The offense looks really good. We're still moving at a quick pace. I mean, that was a big question coming into the season. And, you know, the penalties. We've cut down the penalties a lot. This shows a lot more discipline so far this year. I see a lot of positive signs for the first two games. And, you know, in direct comparison to Josh Heupel, in Gus Malzahn, you have a more seasoned, experienced head coach, right? And that is a, that's also a factor. It points to the discipline issue as well and the cut down in penalties. And, you know, if, if Louisville were to be successful in bottling up the run, can they also contain the passing game or vice versa? Can they stop both phases of the game on offense? It's hard to imagine, especially seeing how they looked against Ole Miss a couple of weeks ago, that they're going to be able to stop everything UCF's got on offense. Yeah, they're still a young team. I mean, let's not forget, this is, uh, I think, year three under Scott Satterfield, the head coach who came from Appalachian State. They're still a young team. Uh, I, I think the bottom fell out a little bit at Louisville, and, and, and Satterfield is now trying to re- kind of rebuild that thing. Um, you know, after Lamar Jackson, and, and and you know, he was obviously a dynamic player. Bobby Petrino does what Bobby Petrino does, uh, and, the, and the bottom fell out of that thing. So I think they're still kind of trending upwards, but I think there's a, there are ways to go. If I saw it correctly on defense, they're a pretty young defense. I think a lot of their, the, their leaders on defense are still in year one or year two, so so, you know, how much experience have they seen? And, and so I think there's a lot of conversation about what can we do to, to stop their, their offense? Well, what can they do to stop our offense? Because I think to, to Mike's point, I mean, we, we went drive after drive against Bethune and I get that it's Bethune, but second half against Boise, we were pretty solid too. So while we may struggle a little bit to, uh, to stop their, uh, their defense, when it comes to our offense, rather, when you need one defense to make one stop or one play or get off the field in one series, I'm going to take my, my money on UCF's defense doing that over Louisville's. 
right? And their offense hasn't looked great either. I mean, they struggled, obviously, in the first half against Ole Miss and put up some points when they were down. Last week, Eastern Kentucky, they put up 30 points. I didn't check how they scored, but I'm guessing that's three touchdowns and three field goals, usually how you get there. So not that big of a deal. Three touchdowns against the Eastern Kentucky team doesn't scare me that much. So it's uh, eight years since uh, UCF came to Louisville and knocked off the favored Cardinals. Where were you? Where did you watch that game? Uh, I was smack dab in my living room in, uh, and I guess I would have been in South Florida at that time, uh, and uh, glued to the TV. Thought it was over for a couple times there. Did the thing where I throw the hat down and walk out of the room, and only to walk back in the room and get sucked back in again. Uh, and obviously, uh, the the ending is fantastic. I think the best story about that that Mike and I have heard, and we've talked to a lot of guys who were on that uh, on that game, is who Borles was really throwing that to a, yeah. and how close Rennell Hall came to really flubbing that up for us. Uh, most people seem to think it was going to Godfrey, uh, but we've had a few guys suspect that Rennell Hall thought it was to him, and, and obviously was going to make a play on it. But uh, but just a you know, I, I think I read Brandon Helwig in the, in the dungeon said at the time this was UCF's biggest win, uh, and and obviously people forget that, and Mike always says. This is the biggest win till the next one. But for a long time, that was our biggest win. Uh, and that was kind of a hallmark moment in UCF history. Uh, and, and certainly one of those that I know there's a video on YouTube of all the fans celebrating. It definitely is one of those where where were you when it happened moments. That was a very good Louisville team. The year before they beat up the Gators, and I believe it was the Sugar Bowl, came back and this was supposed to be their year. They have a lot of guys from that team that are in the NFL still today. Teddy Bridgewater, uh, Devontae Parker, guys like that. Very good team. I remember exactly where I was. It was my old house. I had the garage was a man cave. I had to watch it in there because I was going to do a lot of screaming. My daughter was one years old at the time. My wife was eight months pregnant with my second one. So I couldn't even watch the game in the living room. I had to go to the man cave and watch it in there. And man, oh man, that was an experience. That was great. And you did a lot of screaming at various points in that game. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Especially yeah. when we were down 28 to 7. And we, yes, we hoped that the whole month, man, we were down. Yeah, there was. Talk about some cursing out the fans. That was me. That, that was me at that point. Shout out to my friend Todd, who's watching. I was at his wedding that weekend in California. We had the rehearsal dinner that night, which I was not particularly glued to. I was more uh, glued to the TV at the bar uh, and got to watch that uh, great comeback by the Knights. Hopefully it doesn't come down to that, though, this week, right? That it's not uh, a come-from-behind win and it doesn't go towards the end. And... You know, we didn't see Daniel Obarski with any field goal attempts or any other kicker through two games. Uh, asked Coach Malzahn about that on Monday and said, yeah, they're going to keep being aggressive going forward on fourth down, which he then pointed out. Does it mean that uh, we don't have confidence in our kickers? There was, though, a situation in this game against Bethune-Cookman. I think it was fourth and two from the 11, and they decided to go for it. Not that they can't get fourth and two at the 11, but that to me seemed like an opportunity. Throw your field goal kicker out there. Uh, will we see a field goal attempt this week? Yeah, per perhaps. But I think the more interesting point, Trace, you brought up is, is it, will it be a close game? Will we have to sort of battle through it? I think having that Boise game as already kind of a, a, a record as a test helps you understand how the team will respond to adversity. I think if this was a, a team that, you know, smashed Boise and smashed Bethune, and then you come into the, this game and there's adversity, you wonder how they're going to respond. We saw how they responded. So I, I think it helps you to see that when, when their backs were against the wall, that they were able to overcome that. Now, again, different environment on the road, all that stuff. 
at some point, somebody's going to have to put a foot to a football and kick it through those yellow things. I don't know who that's going to be. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to be, but someone's going to have to do it. And, and at some point I, I get like, let's be, let's be uh, aggressive, but it's kind of like basketball and free throws. You kind of need to see it happen. Now, granted, you've seen it happen on extra points, but we're going to have to get somebody some reps here soon, because to your point, Trace, I don't want to be, you know, 27, 28, we're lining up for a field goal and Obarski's out there. Like what are those yellow things? That's, that's not what I need to happen. I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but Gus Malzahn's in our pool tracker group, and he was just trying to cover that 45-point spread. <laughs> That's why he went for the touchdowns there in fourth down. So, uh, spoiler. Sorry, guys. I don't know if he got in trouble for that one. I like how you had a mention of me on your show this week, episode uh, 147. By the way, you're closing in on 150. That's a big number. Mm, That's a big yes. number you're closing in on. I like how you mentioned me, Mike, that you've, uh, you're getting, you caught me, meaning you were looking up at me in the standings. Uh, I like that. Yeah, one week and you were celebrating like the cows being number two. For it. <laughs> it's great. So I hope you've enjoyed that one week. Now I'm only one behind. It's still another, how many more weeks do we have left? Another 10 weeks to go. So plenty of time for me to pass you. I'm not worried. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, so what's the right. prediction for this I, game? Something else, caught you, something else caught you this week. It was the sprinklers. Uh, yesterday when you were doing your walk and talk. And what what is with this video that is not available? Can we show this video? Did you delete no. it? What happened? Delete. Delete. Why? Wow. Delete. Why? That would have been your most clicked on video ever. Uh, it's fine. It's fine. I, you know, I was there. I got hit in the head with the water. I know what it was like. Everybody doesn't need to I mean, Trace, shade Trace. me on that. Trace, to be fair, if you're going to make us do this. Do we have a sensor on this show? Are you able to bleep stuff out? Because I'm about to say something right now. All right. Yeah, just ma yeah. mark it down to time. Okay. The cows. Okay. If you're going to make us do that, then, then um, you know, then then you you only, uh, it's only right that you do that. Uh, Trace, we'll do this live on the fly here. Our guest has joined us, actually. He's now in the in the room. Should we should we bring him in? Bring him no. in. He's just messaged me. Giants Let's bring him in. Let's bring him in. There he is. I'm sorry, guys. I, I got a leak. I got water all over me, but I want to talk football now. Forget forget all this home stuff. I want to talk football. Don't tell that's me good. what's going on in the Giants game. I'm recording it. I'm watching that. <laughs> okay. All right. I'm not, I, I'm not, I'm not watching that at all. <laughs> he is Jody Demling, publisher, Cardinal Authority on the 24-7 Network at Jay Demling. Uh, thank you for hopping on. Yeah. We appreciate your time. What have we learned about the Cardinals through two games from your perspective? <laughs> wow. We, we, could go, we could go for a long time what we've really learned. But, uh, but quite honestly, um, I, don't, I, don't know what, I don't know that we've learned anything that I think um, – the, the fans are, are upset right now at Louisville because of the first half of Ole Miss because the offense just looked terrible the first half. Um, but if you take the first half of Ole Miss out – um, which obviously was, you know, they were down 23 to nothing or down 24 to nothing or whatever. Um, then, then Louisville didn't really last week. It's an FCS opponent. So, you know, you kind of, uh, I, I kind of take a slow start there. I, I guess if you, if I'm really saying what we've learned is that the one question mark of this team is who was going to be a playmaker that could take over, uh, for Tutu Atwell for Des Fitzpatrick. And we don't know that yet. Um, I think, we're going to see in the next couple of weeks, starting tomorrow night, a couple guys that will kind of separate themselves away from the pack. Um, Amari Huggins-Bruce is a true freshman who had a great game last week until he dropped the ball on the one-yard line as he's going in for a 95-yard touchdown, and it ended up being a touchback instead of a touchdown. Um, and and, and uh, a guy named Josh Johnson, who's been around for 
for four years, has had two ACLs. He's not the fastest dude in the world. He's not the biggest dude in the world, but he's the best route runner on this team. And I think we're going to see starting tomorrow night, it started a little bit last week, that Malik Cunningham gets comfortable with him. And, and that's the whole thing. Malik doesn't have somebody – the first two weeks, he hasn't had one guy that he's felt really comfortable with like he has the last two years. And that makes everything else so much easier for Malik. Yeah, let's talk about Malik for a second, Jody. What does he do well, and what areas do you do you think he struggles the most, or what areas do you think coaches want to see him improve? Well, it was it was all the it, last year. It was definitely the uh, uh, the turnovers. You know, tw- I mean, twelve interceptions. Although three of them, four of them came on fourth down, so it was almost kind of like a punt. But still, they were turnovers and three fumbles last year. Um, he has not done that so far this year. He's been better at you know taking care of the ball. The one thing that he's done this year that he didn't do last year is when he gets in the pocket and and when things start kind of collapsing around him, he's almost the other night he almost waited too long. Whereas he kind of got happy feet, uh, so to speak, I guess the uh, you know last year he waited a little too long the other night and uh, and and that's where it kind of hurt him a little bit. Um, look, he's really good when when he's comfortable. Um, when he is in the pocket and can get out, either passing or getting out of the pocket, he, he's really, really dangerous. Um, you know, he's got more rushing yards, I think, than I think I saw than any. That I think he's like top five quarterback rushing yards in in the last three or four years. In the last three years combined, I think in, in, in all of college football. So the the, the guys the guys a really good player. He's just in a year when when they don't have a guy yet that's really stepped up to be kind of, as I said, his safety net and safety blanket, uh, somebody that he can throw to um, when, when he really needs to, like Tutu Atwell was the last two years. When he needed three, four yards, Tutu Atwell was right there. When he needed seven or eight yards, he looked for Tutu Atwell. In every clutch situation, he looked for Tutu the last couple of years. And, oh, yeah, by the way, Des Fitzpatrick was out there as well. So you had two of those guys, uh, and he just doesn't have that. But, uh, but again, he's a really, really intelligent kid and, uh, and very athletic. And when, they, when, you let him get the, when you let him get out and he kind of gets the quarter, he's not Lamar Jackson, uh, but he's got speed and he's really elusive in the open field. Jody, what about the other side of the ball? The UCF offense has been rolling 99 points through the first two games. What guys on the Louisville defense do we have to keep an eye on? Well, uh, they they've got you know they they I felt like last year they made a huge improvement. I mean, look, 2018 when Bobby Petrino, the last year of Bobby Petrino, this was not only the worst defense in that year. This it was one of statistically it was one of the worst defenses in the history of college football. I mean, it was 54, 56, 49, 58. 50, you know, they were giving up so many yards and so many points. They had to basically rebuild it from from the bottom, and uh, you know when when they took over, there was hardly any defensive lineman on on the roster. Um, the defensive back was depleted. It's just been a total rebuild. They took a, a a good first step the first year, and then last year, even though their record was was what was uh, not as what it was the year before, they actually improved some on defense. And I think we've seen that step a little bit this year. The biggest difference this year is they've got two safeties that came in and, and are transfer guys. Uh, Quinterio Cole from Alcorn State, who actually was thinking about putting his name in the draft. They didn't play last year at, at Alcorn State. They didn't have a season. 
So instead of putting his name in the draft at the last minute, he went and put his name in the transfer portal and, and came to Louisville. Just got here late this summer, uh, and and has has one of the been one of the leading tacklers the first two games. Now, he missed a lot of tackles against Ole Miss, but he hadn't played in a game you know since November of 2020. So that was his first real game in a long in November of 2019. I'm sorry, that was his first game in, in a long time without playing last year. And then Kendrick Duncan is the other safety who came. Uh, from Georgia Southern, they've been really good and have really helped this defense kind of take that next step. And then there's some guys, you know, they they use about 10 guys up front where they just rotate them in and out, in and out. You'll see guys running off the field, and they run them off three at a time, three on, three off, three on, three off. There's not really a big drop-off between one, two, and three and seven, eight, nine. You know, so it's kind of – it's kind of balanced up there. There's not a real great guy. And then the linebackers, Monty Montgomery, number seven, makes big plays. He got thrown out targeting in the first half. They had two of their best defensive guys in the early in the first half against Ole Miss go out for targeting. So that hurt them as well in that Ole Miss game. Uh, but Monty Montgomery, seven, makes plays. And C.J. Avery, number nine, has been their leading tackler for the last two years and is a fifth-year guy. He's a fifth-year starter they're at middle linebacker, and he's kind of the leader of the defense. They've really gotten better defensively. Give us a temperature check on head coach Scott Satterfield. What's the fan base's thoughts about him, and what pressure do you think he's under in this game? This is not a game that they want to be losers in and be one and two on the season, having lost to Ole Miss and UCF. Right, and then and then right, and then the back that up. They've got to go at Florida State next week, which which looks a little different than it did a week ago. But still, <laughs> a lot different. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's still not an easy game, and it's not a place where they've played. You know, they've they've had a ton of success over the course of years, and then after that, they've got the they they've got to go to Wake Forest, who's a lot better than I think everybody thought they were. So this is a key game for Louisville, and and to be honest, I mean this the the fan base is down. The fan base is uh is is grumbling. The fan base is upset. They're mad. It doesn't help that last week. It was hard to get in the stadium, and it was hard to get uh, – for, for the Louisville fans, it was hard to get a beer. They love to drink their beer at Louisville games, and, and the, the concession lines were like an hour long. It, it's, it's, been a, it's been a debacle week for the, uh, the athletic department um, just because of some things that happened at the game that were kind of out of their control with uh, the vendor that did things. So Scott Satterfield's – it was almost like that's your fault, that you didn't have enough beer vendors out there. It's not his fault, but uh, – that's how kind of how the fan base is right now. Um, there's there's a lot of I, there's a lot of I, I don't think I don't think Scott Satterfield unless Louisville only wins two games this year, um, one you know one more game this year. I don't think Louisville is going to move on from Scott Satterfield. I just I just don't think that. But the pressure does mount, and and the key thing for 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 the Louisville fans is they know a lot of fans know that this is a this is a young team of the 115, so including the walk ons. On this team of the 115 man roster, when they started uh, fall camp, they had 70 freshmen on this on, out of out of the 115 guys. Um, so again, that includes some walk ons, not a ton of walk ons, but they had a 29, 26 man class, a 26 man class, and a 25 man class. All those guys are in this freshman class basically because that first year they tried to redshirt everybody because they knew where the roster was and that they that's how they felt like they had to rebuild it. So this, even though guys have been around a couple years, this is a very, very, very young team uh, uh, for Louisville. And uh, so there's, there's some pressure on him, even though 
as like I said, I think it's I, I, I don't think he's going to go anywhere and I don't think anything would happen this year. Uh, there's still pressure and this is a big, big game for them. Quick follow-up is discounted beer a recipe for a it, it raucous is. environment on Friday night. It, it, it is. I don't know if you've heard that, but they're the first from the time the gates open until halftime, it's 50% off water, sodas, and beer. So it's going to be a madhouse night because, you know, Louisville games, Louisville's played 65 Friday night games in the history of Louisville football. And that's kind of – Back when you know John L. Smith and it was was around in those days, it was always a Friday night game. They were that's kind of how Louisville kind of built this program a little bit on those Friday night games. They've won, I think they've won fifty one of those Friday night games, um, uh, and, and so it, it, they've had a lot of success. And it's because the crowds do get into it. And yes, it will be fifty percent off beer for the first half, and when the gates open till halftime, so you can expect a a very loud and crazy crowd. Jody, how is UCF perceived by the Louisville fan base? Um, I, you know, quite honestly, the Louisville fan base has such a – they have such a history and, and a passion for wanting to play Cincinnati in Memphis and that, that I think the Louisville fan base kind of puts UCF in that group of, hey, we kind of like competing against these guys. We like playing against these guys. And, you know, the two games in the past, that last game that Louisville and UCF played, it was 38-34 or 38-35, I think is what it was. I mean, that was a great environment. That was a great crowd. And, and, and I think people remember that game. And I think people, as long as Blake Bortles doesn't come out there and, and start warming up for UCF, I think people love this game. And I do think people like this series. Um, you know, the Louisville fans love to travel uh, – to Florida, they love. We got a lot of kids from Florida on this team, but the Louisville fan base, you know, be it Orlando, be it Tampa, be it uh, Miami, they love when we when Louisville has a game on the schedule that is in South Florida or in Central Florida, you know, in, in the Orlando or Tampa area. And, and I so I think there's a lot of respect and a lot of of admiration for what UCF has done in recent years. And 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 it's it's like I said, it's fun. And and now, um, you know that. The last week, couple, you know, the last month, I guess, everything has changed in in college football and the landscape. So, so now, as as I heard yesterday, I can't remember if it was a player or one of the uh, one of the coach, somebody on on one of the press conferences this week said, you know, this is a Power Five game for us. We're looking at it as a Power Five game because it's going to be a Power Five game, uh, you know, our Power Five team down the road. So, I think there's a, I think there's a really good uh, deal of admiration for for this program within the coaching staff, obviously, and within the fan base. And but again, I do think there's some of that. You know that Louisville fans that rivalry with Cincinnati was so bitter and so back and forth. They just love it. And the same thing with Memphis. It was Louisville fans still call them Memphis State. That's how much we that Louisville fans want to get back on the schedule with those guys in basketball or football or whatever. Um, but I think that they kind of put UCF in that and. And that if they started playing on a yearly basis, this would be a very, very good uh, rivalry. How confident is the fan base? UCF's going in there. We're seven-point favorites on the road. If you have to make a prediction, what do you think is going to happen tomorrow night? Well, I can tell you this. The, the fan base I don't think is very confident at all. I, I think it's going to be a good game. I do think that Louisville has not played up to their capabilities yet this season. I do think Louisville is better than what than what they've played. 
I think the first half of Ole Miss was kind of a shell shock, kind of a, again, go back to there are a lot of kids that hadn't played a lot of snaps and some guys that hadn't played snaps in, 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 in almost two years. So I do chalk a little bit of that up to that. But I will say this, um, boy, I watched that second half. Uh, I, I, I watched it that night. I remember watching the game a couple weeks ago and I went back and watched that second half against Boise. And if, 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 I think the Louisville fans would love to see the first half of Boise UCF team to show up. But if that second half shows up, I, I think it's going to be a really good game. Uh, and, and I honestly believe, um, you know, defensive coordinator Brian Brown, you know, would never say this, but I think he knows this is one of the better offenses that they're going to face, um, uh, you know, on the season. And and, and I, I think this is going to be a high scoring game. Uh, I, I, you know, seven and a half is a lot, especially uh, a team – like Louisville, that's played really well in in these situations before. Um, that's that's a whole lot. I was actually a little surprised. I thought it would be you know two and a half, three, three and a half, but seven and a half's a lot. Well, let's wrap up with this. If Louisville were to get this win, what has to happen on Friday night for the Cardinals? Malik Cunningham has to take care of the ball. Uh, he has to not turn the ball over. And if Louisville can get, so Louisville got two interceptions. And a punt return for a touchdown. Uh, they got two interceptions, a fumble recover, recovery, and a punt return for a touchdown last week against EKU after going minus two in turnovers against Ole Miss. If Louisville is on the plus side of the turnovers, and we've seen that it's been true throughout Scott Satterfield's first two years and two games, Louisville on the plus side of turnovers and can get to the 30-point mark, Louisville's very, very successful. And that's how Louisville has to win this game tomorrow night. He is Jody Demling, publisher, Cardinal Authority on the 24-7 Network at Jay Demling. A little late, but we enjoyed the conversation with you, Jody. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Good stuff there from Jody and really pretty much football, right? If you win that turnover battle, I, I like what he mentioned there on the turnover battle, but do you feel confident as we wrap up our show that our defense, UCF's defense, can hold them to under 30? Because you got to feel like, they're going to put 30 plus on the, on the board against the Cardinals. Well, it also sounds like, I mean, if, if Malik Cunningham has a tendency to, uh, to give the ball away or be a little bit sloppy, it sounds like there's an opportunity for the defense to, to make a play or two themselves. And, you know, you, you Trace, you, you took one for the team and, and asked Big Cat Bryant, a uh, imposing figure, how come he has no sacks this year? I'm surprised he didn't sack you right there in the, uh, in the well, media room. I, I don't know that I phrased it quite like that. That's I think what we I heard. That's what we heard. I, I thought it was something a little more like you're hungry for some sacks. I, I think was the the phrase. I, I can't I can't confirm or deny the fact that he may have turned the sprinklers on on the field when he saw you out there. <laughs> but I, I think I think the defense is chomping at the bit potentially to make that impact play. If it's a quarterback who's going to be a little bit loose and a little bit cl- uh, careless with the football, you know, I, I I'm curious to see if our defense can take advantage of of a, a potentially what Jody just told us a, a turnover prone quarterback. Guys, I feel even more confident hearing that last statement he made. They had a punt return for a touchdown and three turnovers and still only scored 30 points against Eastern Kentucky. Uh, that's not good news for them. I, I think we're going to be over 40 on these guys. 43-20 was my prediction. This show went into overtime. I do not think tomorrow's game is going to be going into overtime or anything close. Uh, smooth, Mike. 38-19 is what I'll uh, put UCF uh, get out of this one with a win. Key to watch, though, is this is going to be from, you know, when you have discounted beer like that and a Friday night crowd, it is going to be raucous. It holds 60,000. They had 40,000 for the opener. I haven't seen a, a ticket projection number for the game Friday night, but you know, it's going to be a party atmosphere. 
UCF didn't start off well against Boise. They were hanging there with Bethune for a little while in that first quarter. What? How do they respond to the atmosphere? Because you know it's going to be uh, you know pumped up. Uh, how do they respond coming out? Can Gus and T will keep them focused? And uh, UCF get out of here with the W. Mike, do you need a score update on that Giants Washington no. game? <laughs> Don't say anything. I'll hang up right now. No, no, I'll tell you right now. No, I, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I think he threatened you there, Trace. He, he threatened. I, I, I think the I think the free beer thing is or whatever the half. I mean, by the second half, everyone's going to be drunk and asleep. So if we can <laughs> if we can just weather the storm in the first half, by the third quarter, that student section is going to be passed out like Mike in his closet. So I, I think we're I think if we just weather that storm, we'll be okay. Mike, that where are you watching the game? Where are you watching the game tomorrow night? Tomorrow I'll be at the Brass Tap in Fort Lauderdale, baby. Watch party. Uh, it's going to be a great time out there. I was I enjoyed it last weekend. Going back again for seconds this weekend. Uh, but that that beer thing could backfire on the home team. If we get off to a quick start and we're up, they can turn, those fans can turn on them, start booing, and that puts even more pressure on the home team. Uh, I like where we're at for tomorrow. Mike, that game's in the second quarter, and the score is – all right, I'll let you guys go. I'm in Louisville. I'll be in the press box. I'll be a Twitter storm at SignPez. Mike will be three sheets to the wind at the Brass Tap in Boca. And how about you, Adam? You're watching at home. Yeah, I'll be on the. Uh, I'll be couch skating with my Trulies and my White Claws. There you go. There you go, guys. It's been fun. A little bit of overtime. Uh, good to see you and everyone watching wherever you are. I'm Trace Rolko. Go Knights. Charge right on. At Marshalls, our buyers hustle every day for the brands you love. Tell me about the leather booties. Is that crystal? Silk at that price? You've got a deal. With great deals always in store, come in and get more of the good stuff. Marshalls, get the good stuff. Now with Xfinity, you'll get unlimited internet with gig speed and supersonic Wi-Fi. Plus a two-year internet rate guarantee and no annual contract required. You even get a free streaming box. Talk about knock your socks off. It's all just 50 bucks a month when you add Xfinity Mobile with unlimited data. That's the new Xfinity Supersonic Bundle. Go to Xfinity.com slash gig to learn more. Limited time offer. Restrictions apply. Requires paperless billing and auto pay. New gigabit internet customers only. Xfinity Mobile requires post-pay Xfinity internet. After 24 months, regular rates apply to all services and devices. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.